Hey, dummies. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Tyler Froberg. I'm Noah Young with the Shiloh Farm. And this is Farming for Dummies. The podcast where we explore the vast world of agriculture and break it down in a way that dummies like us can understand. So, Noah, what's going on up in Nebraska at the old Shiloh Farm? Well... I actually need your help this week because I am looking for a little homestead farm tractor. My back just is not going to take this much manual labor for the next 15 years. I need to start thinking smarter (laughs) and not harder. So it's time to get a tractor, but I just don't know where to start. So what do you recommend? Oh, man. So, you know... It depends on if you want to go new or used, I'd say. Used? Of course, what do you think you know, I've made of money? <laughs> <laughs> the, old, the old Farming for Dummies podcast can only afford a, an old used tractor these days. Oh, man. <laughs> so, you know, there's lots of platforms out there to look for used equipment, but let's talk about what. And, you know, I got to say, the old Farmall Cub was one of the best, like, small acreage homestead tractors, in my opinion, that they made. Um, lots of different implements. It's got a three point hitch on the back. It's a nice little tractor as well as the John Deere M. You know, I have an, I have an M and a cub. I have, I actually have one of each. Um, they're awesome little tractors. Uh, there's not a whole lot they can't do. I think they'd be good for you. All right. I'll have to check that out. In the meantime, what is rich farmer Froberg and his fancy tractor doing down South? We're (laughs) We're staying busy down here. It's been too wet. We've been trying to get ground prepped going into the spring it's just it's been too wet we got that that new little lease field from my uncle um and it this rain is just it's killing us man it's it's been i mean it's just wet you know it's bad enough that we get 50 plus inches that's five zero for anyone listening 50 plus inches of rain a year um, and so when we just have weeks of rain at a time, it just makes it hard to do anything. You know, a place that doesn't get a lot of rain, Tyler. Where's that? Oklahoma. <laughs> don't, don't we have a buddy up there in Oklahoma? We do. We do have a buddy down in Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends geographically where you're That's listening right. from. And honestly, I can't really harp on Oklahoma too much because they are probably smoking us in precipitation. We haven't gotten anything in the last six months. But today we are going down to Oklahoma to visit with Daryl Bibbins. <laughs> Mr. Gatlin Didier himself. A cattleman extraordinaire, fifth generation. Their ranch has been there for 120 years, but you know what? I'm going to let him tell you about that. Today, we're going to be talking about beef prices and why I had to take out a second loan just to buy a steak at the grocery store. One of the things, though, I really enjoyed about this podcast interview was really hearing his heart as a rancher. He is a producer himself, so he comes with a lot of credibility. Well, that's enough from us. But before we get to the podcast interview, I want to thank our episode sponsor today, Eaton Pet and Pasture. They have 100% natural hemp bedding that is perfect for your pets, especially this time of year as we get into chick season. So thank Thank you to Eaton Pet and Pasture for sponsoring and visit EatonHemp.com. Well, you know the drill. Let's hop on the old good living tractor and start plowing that compaction between your ears. Noah, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite things to do on a Sunday evening is go out in the grill, throw some steaks or hamburgers or some kind of beef on the grill. Oh, yeah, that's a staple in the young house. And so we're going to dig into some beef stuff today. I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Mr. Gatlin Dieter. Gatlin, how are you, sir? I'm good, fellas. How y'all doing today? Just Pretty peachy. good. Pretty good down here in Texas. So I think it's no secret, you, sir, are an internet sensation. 
from TikTok to Instagram and even YouTube. You kind of do it all. <laughs> I don't know about sensation, but uh, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll take that. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the uh, the nice words there. But uh, I don't know. I think my grandpa would be like, "What the heck is he doing out here on our farm?" <laughs> uh, and so, for anyone who any for anyone who doesn't know Gatlin or his alternate persona Daryl, Gatlin has done an absolutely incredible job of taking over the farm side of the internet and introducing the world to Daryl Bibbins who where is, he takes an interesting approach of showing the everyday person just regular old farm stuff. So whether it be what the heck is a cattle guard or what is a country road, you do an amazing job at bringing in a, a, a wide audience and just showing them the everyday country lifestyle. In a in a in a very whimsical way, my <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, I, like I was telling you guys earlier before we got on the podcast, like, yeah, at the, at the end of the day, the approach has always been, how can I explain this as if I was talking to a, a, a city person in layman's terms, or like sometimes I say even the approach is like talking to a child, uh, you know, but to let them understand and better be informed on our way of life, but also entertaining the people who, like you all who are in it every day. Um, and like try to get kind of both audiences to really uh, relate. And that's what I try to do. At the end of the day, all this stuff, we're, like you guys can relate. I relate to a lot of the stuff you all put out. And uh, and that's that's at the end of the day, like we're just we're here to entertain people and hopefully get a few likes and shares to continue uh, to continue the TikToks and all the other internets out there to, to keep people seeing our stuff. Absolutely. Speaking of likes and shares, it seems like any time I look at your profile, your granny <laughs> has more likes than anybody else does. <laughs> Can you talk about how your family and adding Gatebart to the mix, how that has really just kind of portrayed the family side of agriculture as well? Yeah, that's it's so it, it all happened very organically. And that was all during right when we were kind of kicking off the farm stuff with Daryl's. Uh, Jarrett was actually my cameraman. Jarrett Sitton is uh, Gatebart. And at the time, it was the not-so-PG version of his name. We were explaining who the person was that gets out and gets the gates is on a farm slash ranch. Uh, so he kind of got suckered into this whole thing. Um, but he's always been like my little sidekick when we made videos since we were kids. And the the funny part of getting my grandma involved was she literally lives on the farm that we film at. That's my family's farm. Been there 120 years. Uh, I'm a sixth, I'm a fifth generation uh, out of the family, and my grandma still lives there, so she's just always around. And one day we were just like, "Hey, why don't we just throw grandma on a TikTok?" And she just did awesome, and people loved her, and people wanted more of her. And uh, and she's granny on there, but in real life she's my grandma Kay. Um, and that was about a year ago at this point, and then she's just like you guys are trying to call me an internet sensation. I don't like you want to talk about a true following. Out of us three, Granny has like this diehard. No matter <laughs> no she can, she, like the other day I had her say a curse word, which is for her like H E you know double hockey sticks. She thought that was a curse word, and she's like, I'm gonna get canceled. I said, Grandma, you're gonna get canceled, and people like they they're like they get mad at her when she like, or they don't ever get mad at her. She could literally do a thirst trap after making fun of thirst traps, and everyone's like. She's a queen. Granny's a queen. So I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, this is so much fun to get to bring like, because you, as you all know, f farming is very much a family, uh, a family atmosphere. And I'm get to, I get to highlight farming and highlight that family way of life that kind of comes along with farming. And I get to do it with people I love and have known my whole life, and we get to enjoy this ride together. So I love it. Uh, that's you know that's where we're at with that, and that's how we got here today. So. Okay, so you talked about fifth generation. Your family's farm has been there a long time. So let's make that transition. And so 
you know, a lot of people see us on the internet and it's, it's all fun and games and we're laughing and having fun, but we all work. We all have a farm to go back to. And so you truly are a cattleman. And so tell us about your family's cattle operation, you know, maybe go into a little bit of the history and then, you know, what does it look like today? Yeah, so uh, now we would be, my, my dad likes to say, we're not really a farm, we're a ranch. But, uh, you know, growing up where I live in western Oklahoma, we're, it was not known to be like a high, it is a lot of cattle out here, but it's a lot of farm, like people call them cattle farmers. So I was growing up, I was considered a farm boy, not really a, you know, a cowboy, because I've never worn a cowboy hat. I've always worn boots, always wear Wranglers, but I, I'm just not a cowboy. That's not my, you know, cowboy at heart, but I don't wear a cowboy hat, so... Um, we, you know, the operation has been around since, uh, 1902 is when my family officially homesteaded where the Didier Ranch is currently today. Uh, and it started off, you know, doing, I mean, they had, they had like any farm back in the early 1900s. They had chickens, pigs, cows, everything. Cause they got, you had to live off your farm. That's how you lived in the early days. Um, and then also they would sell their crops. They were wheat farmers. Um, from France, uh, and then some. Then my grandpa's uh, mom, her size Irish, so had a lot of um, an Irish French um, wheat farmers, and that slowly evolved over time as my grandpa got to take over the operation, and then as my uncle and my dad have taken over the operation, uh, it it slowly evolved from we we were wheat farmers and cattle farmers that turned into strictly just. Um, a cow calf operation today. What's what we're running? We run about two hundred black commercial cow calf operation. Um, you know, feed out the Bermuda grass, hay, alfalfa, triticale, silage, you know, grain. Uh, they graze the Bermuda, irrigated crab grass during, you know, the, the better seasons. Uh, you know, we, we don't get to have the the nice uh year round as they get to have in other areas of the country. So um, our cows, uh, it's not a massive, massive operation, but it's a pretty good size operation. And then also my uncle runs um, a starter yard alongside this operation. So, and we all just kind of help out. It's, it's how family stuff works is, you know, like, even though that's not my dad's operation, you know, we all kind of pitch in. Um, and for me, it's like, what's really cool and really exciting about it is like, I left for a little bit. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't out here doing this every day. I grew up doing this every day. I did it through my first three years of college in the summertime as my job. And then I went off to California for five years, uh, but six years uh, here pretty soon. It had been six years. Uh, and I went off and my dad told me to chase my dreams as an actor. And then I, through social media, I've been able to come back and re-get, re-get involved with the business and highlight it and work every day with them. And then, um, and then also highlight it and have fun and get to be with family. So that's where our operation's at today. It's um, like right now we're having, cal- we're calving out right now like crazy and, um, we, we, it's funny cause we're not registered Angus. We have a lot of, it's commercial, uh, black, but we have a you know, for a few Hereford bulls out there because, you know, they have low birth weight. There's like so many different things that you guys know when it comes to, to, uh, running a cattle operation that, that the, the, the normal people don't know about. Um, but yeah, that's where it's at today, man. We're, we're, uh, it, it's, you know, it's, I don't highlight it near as much, which I'm probably going to here in the next few months, the more cattle side of things. Because everyone expects Daryl to be like, you know, growing. Everyone's like, where's your corn? Where's your, you know, like, well, I'm not from Nebraska. All right. Well, you know, it's like we don't have that much down here in Oklahoma. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to highlighting this side of things more often. I'm going to be working with the Oklahoma Beef Council here pretty soon. Um, and I think it's uh, it's it's really, it's, it's you know, again, it's family's been doing it for over 120 years. And now I get to do it and also take the skills and stuff I learned the last 10 years of my life. 
um, and apply it and see if I can help grow the family business is, you know, I'm very blessed for this opportunity. So I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time on this, but you did mention commercial versus registered herd. For those that don't know what the difference is between those two, do you mind just kind of touching on that for a little bit and explaining the difference? Yeah, so commercial is like more for like we're, we're making this for market. Um, and then the registered is like these are purebred Angus or depending on whatever breed you have, Hereford. Um, that That's the difference, right? So like commercial means like we're crossbreed, like they're not purebred. So we have there's Hereford mixed throughout there, um, some red Angus, but mainly black, like black Angus is what we've uh, raised throughout since I was a little kid, what my grandpa always had, and my dad and my uncle continue to have, but you know, they're going to have the white face and people are like, well, well, if that was a, you know, if that was a registered Angus, there would be zero white in that. So, um, that's, that's essentially where it's at. It comes down to like, it's not a purebred Angus. And then we are making it for market. Um, we're making it to sell, eventually sell so people can have their meat. Um, and some people, you know, some people give when it comes to dairy and other things, it's not, it's, you know, they're, you're not, you're not eating the, the off of Holstein, you're not eating the meat off <laughs> yep. there. So, yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a simple way as I can break that down. So speaking of meat, what I'd like to do now is let's transition and let's take a trip to the grocery store. Noah, you know what one of my favorite breakfast meals is? No, but I think we're about to find out. <laughs> it's got to be steak and eggs. Okay, I feel you. But it's got to be some really good eggs. And you know the best eggs come from happy chickens. Now, hang on. What makes those chickens so happy? Well, here at the Shiloh Farm, our chickens are pretty happy because we have switched to Eaton Pet and Pasture Natural Bedding. Now, that's hemp bedding, right? That is correct. It has no dust, no chemical treatments whatsoever, the way nature is intended, and it's super soft and cozy, so my chicks love playing around in it. Now, I gotta say, we actually did a test. We ran it against all the other products that other people are using, peat moss and wood chips and all these things, and the naturally grown hemp bedding from Eaton Pet and Pasture surpassed by far all of our expectations. Not only is it super absorbent, but it stays dry longer than other traditional pet beddings, which is really important this time of year as we get into wet springs, which are not good for baby chicks. So if you wanna learn more about Eaton Pet and Pasture, go to eatonhemp.com. So we're walking through the grocery store, we get to the beef section, we reach for that pound of ground beef, but we look at the price and we, oh my gosh, how did the price get that high? Gatlin, tell us about that. How does that work? How does our beef actually get priced? Does Is there just like a an evil grocery man that comes into the grocery store at night and throws a price on the shelf of whatever he feels like? <laughs> well, there's a lot more to it than that. <laughs> and most people don't know. A lot of people think that it's the it's the ranchers, the cattle producers that control this this magical price and why it's so high. And that is actually not true at all. Um, the people who actually control it, there is um, a mass. You know, so essentially we have four packers in the United States that control over 80 percent of the meat supply, but mainly the beef supply in the country. And the, and these four packers are Cargill, JDS, Tyson Foods, and National Beef. And Okay, hold up, hold up one yeah. second. For the listeners out there that don't know what a packer is, can you explain that? Because I'm thinking like a packing facility yeah. like Amazon. Yeah, so they're, they're, the, they're the people who process the meat. Um, you know, like if you want to think of like your local deli 
you know, the meat, like if you went down to the meat locker at your local place, it's that on steroids. And those are the people who were, you know, who are buying most of the cattle throughout the country to supply the meats to the grocery stores. And so what they are, we call them packers, distributors is what they're known, um, is what they're known at in a lot of the marketplace. But essentially, they're the ones who control the futures market, which is what us ranchers and farmers rely on for when we're selling our stuff. And they also control the true market, which is what is priced at the grocery stores. So the, essentially, that these four packers have kind of a monopoly on the, the beef market and the meat market because they're, they're also controlling chicken and pork and other things. Um, but they're, they've essentially right now they got they set the price for cattle on the futures market because they control that um, because they can handle the volume of, that, of the meat that's processed and it allows and, you know it allows them to control uh, not only the futures market but then when they're the ones like people who process the meat they're the ones that also control what it costs the grocers and everyone else to what it costs when they buy it. So essentially, you know, we have, and it's, you know, I'm not trying to, I never, like, I don't want to talk about politics on here or anything. It's not a political thing. It's just a true thing. It's not a free competition market. It is a monopoly by these four, these four packers. And that's who truly controls the market. So don't get mad at, uh, at Daryl or, you know, or Farmer Froberg or at, um, at, at Noah, at the chicken prices, because we don't control that at the end of the day. It's controlled by these, these four I, you know, I don't want to say like oligarchies, but it's like they're controlled by these four packers. Okay, so so a rancher, he raises his, his calves up to the point to where they're ready to be processed. And then he puts them in a trailer, and I, I'm, I'm creating a very romanticized version of this. But he puts them in a trailer, and he hauls them to the packer. The packer has already set the price of what the grocery store can can sell it at and he set the price of what he is going to pay the rancher he's told the rancher what he's going to accept for his beef oh, approximately what percentage of that final grocery store price is that rancher actually seeing so, so i kind of did the numbers i was doing these numbers the other day just so it can help people better understand the average rancher you know will spend over about 24 months from the time that the the embryo uh, it takes form. Whoa, 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 Hang on. What's an embryo? <laughs> well, like the, <laughs> so it's just like, it's like now we're getting into anatomy and biology and all this stuff. This is what you love, Tyler. So okay, when, it's a it's a ba- ever, it's a baby cow inside a mama cow. <laughs> yes, a baby cow. It's, it's, it's the same thing as humans, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> I was like, man, this now this is anatomy for dummies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just so from the time of the literally the start of the cow. Being or the baby, you know, the baby calf being in the mama cow, to the time that it goes to the the we call we like we take ours to market to sell, um, and then they so a lot of times they'll go to feeder yards to to get a little bit bigger. But you know, just we'll just say from the time that they get to the packer, it's a twenty four month process in there usually, and you know, on average the the per head right now is about thirteen hundred dollars per head, depending on the weight of the the calf um, when it's when it's bought, so. What the what the, what like if you just take for instance I was doing the numbers so from Wichita Cargill location they average about six thousand cattle a day they bring in, and the mar- with what they make what they sell to the grocery stores after you if you, there's just so many different numbers you can go into because like 
one cow equals about 62% of it is what the weight of it, of it is meat. So what they're paying for is they're, they're paying for the meat off the cow. Then they're also going to make some money selling, you know, the hide and bones and other things. But that we're talking about beef here. So they're, what, what the true rancher sees out of the money that, the, that they make is hardly anything at all. So let's say that on that 6000 a day that Cargill has, they're going to make roughly around $15 million off those 6,000 cows. Wow. The, the rancher, in essence, after you take out all his input, all his expenses into that, that one calf, he makes about $100 off that calf. <laughs> so you want to talk about wow. a wide, you know, there's a big gap there in money. So this is kind of a two-sided and, question, but first, what can the consumers do to help this industry and help you guys get more money out of your product and what can you as beef producers do to get more margin off of that and take less from the packer it's it, that's a, that is a truly loaded question and honestly it's like what i wanted to kind of wrap like tell tell the listeners here today is like support local buy from your local markets that always helps um, but was, it's, at the end of the day, that doesn't control the price of meat. The, what controls the price of meat are the packers, um, and your local pack, your local meat market can't, you know, control the volume of what they can. They can only do X amount of cattle per week, you know. So they, what you can do that that really does help. But at the end of the day, what we need is we need, you know, you need these these four packers to be broken up, like and in, in split into smaller companies to create a greater competition. Um, and that would definitely change the price. But at the end of the day, all like right now, it's not a great business to be in in the cattle industry. <laughs> and and I'm not trying to to you know stray away anybody who has aspirations for that. Um, but it's just right now you can look at the big difference in money. There is like all the money all the money to be had is from if you're involved with one of those four main distributors and not in the ranching side of things. But America needs to eat, as you guys know. Far and the farming's the same way with crops right now. It's like America needs to eat. People gotta people someone has to do it. And luckily that unfortunately enough there's people who are willing to be blue collar people who go out and do that every day. And um I just think eventually it's gonna have to meet it's it's gonna have to meet somewhere. But in the meantime what the consumer can do for people is go support your local farmers, go to uh, go to the um uh, the markets uh, and, and buy, buy from them. And then eventually we'll hopefully, you know, one day some, somebody will intervene and break up these big companies and, and allow that prices to come down and have a little bit more control into the ranchers. Um, and maybe we'll see the payday again, like it used to be, but until then, this is kind of where we're at. So you mentioned supporting local and the local meat markets. Can you talk a little bit about direct to consumer marketing and how that plays into buying beef? I mean, how can we actually buy local meat straight from the rancher? Yeah. So right now that there's, it's really interesting. There's a lot of people trying to like make their ranches and farms come DTC models is like the short term, uh, for it is, is like. You know, if, if you, it's just a lot because at the end of the day, you need to have somebody who can process your meat and the, all the local processors, especially around our area are all backed up right now. And it's the volume at the end of the day. And like these big corporations can handle the volume because they have the, they have the storage, they have the places to store the meat. They have the, the amount of butchers to, to, you know, to kill the slaughter, the beef where like these local uh, areas to process it. It's like, that's, that's where the biggest struggle is right now is, is the 
the bandwidth. And, you know, we, and you hear that, that term used a lot when it comes to like energy, when it comes to, you know, the wife, everyone's talking about the 5g and all that stuff bandwidth. Um, that's what it is, is like, uh, the bandwidth to sustain a DTC model, you need to have a processor local one that maybe, cause like, let's say if like, let's say farmer Froberg started Tyler, I'd love to just use your, your handle name because it's <laughs> just, it. it rolls off the tongue. <laughs> um, let's say you decided to go DTC with a lot of your model um, of, of things. Like, and I know you guys are doing a lot of your, the coffee and uh, the flour and everything, but if you wanted to go with like meat or any of your crops, um, you know, that that's great. But it's like, what if the demand be, becomes so high and you can't, the supply can't match it? And that's where the biggest issue is with that right now. But there's a lot of companies trying to, to start that. And I, and I'm now on our end, the way to survive and make our business go into this next you know, generation of ranching is something I'm looking to do for us, uh, where you get your kind of your Omaha steaks, your butcher box, your snake river, uh, snake river, I guess, Valley, wherever you people buy the fancy stuff, like it's like a, it's like hello fresh to your door type of situation. Um, but I think that, that that's the future. If people really want to see high quality meat um, from from local far, uh, ranchers and farmers and cattle producers is that DTC model. But there's just a lot of a lot of intricacies to get that figured out. Yeah, and I'll add a quick note. When the pandemic hit, the local butcher shops around us, at least here in Nebraska, were booked out a year and a half to two years, which meant an animal that you were growing for food, there was no way to process it because by the time that animal is ready to process, there was no butcher dates it's available. It's crazy. It's how it is here too. And it's, and it's hard because like, you know, we loved, I, I grew up always having meat in the freezer. Like I didn't realize people didn't, you know, have that, <laughs> that luxury like I had grown up. But, uh, um, you know, right now we don't have much meat in our freezer because you can't get in anywhere to do it. And that's, that's the problem. I'm, and maybe hopefully, hopefully some more people are willing to put down that early investment. It's just a lot of money up front, as you guys know, uh, starting anything. But if people would do that, I think we have an opportunity to really kind of like, get this back to back to a more even playing field but until then we're all just going to be waiting on our meat and hopefully we don't know when buys that bill gates synthetic stuff that they're trying to make up there your way noah <laughs> well y'all heard it here local beef it's what's for dinner gatlin we just want to thank y'all we just want to thank you for for coming on and sharing your your cattleman wisdom uh if y'all don't know check out uh gatlin uh you want why don't you give us your handles yeah, it's a it's my name at Gatlin underscore Didier. That's uh, G A T L I N underscore D I D I E R. At Instagram, TikTok, everywhere. I tried to keep it all the same because it can get kind of you know if you have too many different handles going on. And uh, Daryl Bibbins, all his content uh, goes on Gatlin's pages. So if you guys want to enjoy that farm stuff, just go to Gatlin's pages. I wonder how many people are going to be listening to this, expecting Daryl's voice and being shocked when they actually get to hear Gatlin. <laughs> it I know some people like. <laughs> It just blows people's mind because, like, going to California, because, like, it's funny. I, I don't know if what happened, but I was very, like, when you listen to, like, young tapes of me, I was like, y'all, this, and my wife, like, she'll be like, you are so, you don't sound like that anymore. I'm like, well, I guess I kind of evolved uh, a little bit, but, like, every time I'd be working in the restaurants, I'd go, how are y'all doing today? And they're like, y'all, you're not from around here. It's like, but I literally sound like you guys normally. <laughs> uh, but I love, I love, I, I mean, I, I'm slowly getting my draw back now that I'm home. Uh, a lot more frequently and uh and it's just it's it's so much nicer to have a little bit of a little draw to your 
to your accent. <laughs> well, Gatlin, it was an honor and a privilege to have you on. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Please say hi to Granny and to Gatepart for us, and good luck calving. Will do. Thank you, Phyllis, for having me. Honored to be on on the podcast and excited to see where you guys do with this going forward. And uh, just keep fighting the good fight and, uh, and being advocates, okay, guys? Now that was an incredible interview from our good friend, Gatlin Didier, internet sensation, Daryl himself and Cattleman extraordinaire from down up there, down there, Oklahoma. It's down there, but yeah, you know, I grew up in a state of Nebraska where cows outnumber people four to one. So I'm very familiar with this, but it's always really interesting just to hear kind of the, the global scale of the packing side of it. It's not just raising the cow, but it's trying to figure out what to do with it afterwards and how to set that price. It's really fascinating. I agree. And you know, you know, it kind of gave me an idea, Noah, on... Uh, you know, an episode for another podcast of really going into the nitty gritty of direct to consumer marketing and talking, uh, you know, let, kind of letting our viewers know how do you go about not just getting beef, but anything directly from the farmer. I think it's an episode for another day, but but get ready for it, folks, because you're going to hear it. Oh, yeah. And then you could even get into how you actually buy a cow, because a lot of people don't realize if you buy a whole cow, you're getting like 450, 500 pounds of meat. So you can actually buy cows in halves or quarters or eights. And we could do an entire podcast just on that. Oh, uh, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Bring, <laughs> bring local beef back into style, folks. Love it. So, Tyler, we've been getting a ton of emails this week, as always, but what do you have for us in the mailbag today? Well, our message today comes from the beautiful state of Washington, and it's about apple trees. So, Miss Stacy wants to know, how can I plant my own apple tree, and how do I take care of it? So, of course, we could talk for hours about apples, but what I will say is go talk to a local nursery. There's tons of great, I, I used to live in Washington for those who didn't know I was in the army and lived in Washington for, for almost four years. And there's tons of local nurseries there um, and lots of regional experts on apples. So go visit your local nursery and talk to them about variety selection. Uh, make sure it's grafted onto a quality root stock. When you ask your local expert, they'll explain what that means. Um, and, and also, speaking of Washington, get ready because we're going to have one of our Washington friends on the podcast real soon. Little teaser there for you. Well, there you have it from our local farm dummy expert. If you have any questions, you can email us at farmdummies at gmail.com. That's enough for us today. Thank you guys for taking the time to listen to the podcast. We hope you learned something today. And remember, like John Wayne used to say, life is hard. It's harder if you're stupid. We'll see you on the next podcast. Bye.